Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Promman back for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Got a really fun show on tap today. Corey's been watching some international tournaments that we're going to talk about. We're going to get to that. He's going to talk about the prospects he was wrong about, one of my personal favorite of Corey's annual stories. But first we are joined by former Vancouver Canucks scout Jonathan Bates of Elevate 02. Jonathan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. How we doing? Doing really well. Yeah, doing well. Thank you so much for joining us, John. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's great to be here. I enjoy the show. You guys do a great job. So for, for those who don't know, for the, for the last while, Jonathan has been doing one, what I think is one of the more interesting scouting jobs in the industry, and that's specifically focusing on college free agents. This is a group of players that I think have produced some some fun players and I think always generates a lot of excitement in the spring. But I think it's got to be one of the more kind of unique scouting assignments because you're oftentimes getting guys who have been passed over in the draft. And now you're trying to find the players who maybe shouldn't have been or, or in time have proven that they can still contribute at the NHL level. I'm curious, kind of how did that become your wheelhouse, Jonathan? Uh, timing's everything in life, right? Um, I graduated from the University of Vermont uh, 2008, started working for Vancouver when Mike Gillis was hired. And uh, he wanted to add some youth to the, uh, to the organization. Uh, he saw a need uh, specifically in the college free agent market. So um, he paired me with Stan Smeal. Uh, Canuck legend, obviously terrific role model, terrific friend, and um, away we went. But but really, the benefit for for Mike and the organization at the time was I was a young guy, right? So I had an understanding of what makes a 20, 21, 22-year-old tick because I was 23, 24 at the time right. when I started the college free agent process. So I, I think that's really kind of how I found my niche. Um, and, uh, and, you know, 13 years later, I was uh, I basically made my my first, you know, third of my career in, in that field. And it was great, terrific experience with uh, with a lot of fun stops along the way. You mentioned how, like, you connected with some of these players. And I think that's something that's interesting. I, I hear when I talk to NHL scouts around the industry about that field is it's not just a scouting uh, job. Is like, well, you have to interview players when you do for the amateur draft – you know, what there are certain guys in the college free agency realm, like, you know, when a top guy, like say a DeKaiser rolls around, that every single team's going to be on. And a huge part of it comes down to relationships and recruitment. You know, what, what was your experience dealing with that aspect of the job, you know, compared to some of your, say, your colleagues uh, on the Vancouver scouting staff? Yeah, well, I'm I'm laughing, Corey, because you bring up Danny DeKaiser and it triggers a really funny story, actually, um, specifically when it relates to, to us trying to, to sign him. Um, I went to see him play at Western Michigan in Kalamazoo, um, and I can't remember who they were playing. But, uh, but you know, I, I show up to the game. I was an hour before. I, I like to get to the arena roughly 45 minutes, an hour before, just before warmers, get my lines, you know, feel don't feel rushed, that kind of thing. And uh I show I show up and the game uh, the game isn't scheduled to start till eight o'clock. I'm like, oh geez, I thought it was you know I just assumed it was seven, so of course it was eight. Whatever. Watch the game. I've got a, a meeting set up with the kid afterwards with with Danny, and um, you know watch the game. Obviously, a terrific game. Whatever ends at ten thirty. I go down and and in the hallway, waiting to talk to him was Steve Eiserman, um, uh, Mike Babcock. Um, Tom Curvers, um, 
uh, Chris Chelios, Chris Draper, I believe. Uh, it was just a uh, oh, uh, Mac T, Craig McTavish, and Kevin Lowe. It was just a who's who of the hockey world, and then me, right? Like me, all these <laughs> like all these big big time NHL legends. Um, and then, you know, this little scrub that, that Vancouver sent to watch the game. So obviously like, you know, uh, guess who's going first. It ain't, it ain't Jonathan Bates to go talk to the kid, you know? So, so they all go in one at a time, whatever, and meet, you know, have their meetings. I don't get out of there till like past midnight after finally meeting him. And, uh, and I have to drive back to Kalamazoo or excuse me, from Kalamazoo back to the airport in Detroit, which, you know, with, with no traffic and on a clear sunny day, it's a two hour drive. Well, of course this was, you know, January, February, and there's a massive snowstorm. Um, it took me about five and a half hours to get back to Romulus where the Detroit airport was. Um, thankfully I made it no issues, but it was, it was a scary drive. It was a terrifying drive and, um, got back. I had like a seven thirty flight back to Boston. I literally grabbed my stuff. I actually took a quick shower just to kind of wake up a little bit, grab my stuff and went right to the airport. But yeah, it was one of those stories where, um, you know, that you, you just kind of talking with you, Corey, it just triggered, but um, how do I relate to kids? How, like, what, it's a sales game. I mean, kids have options when they become college free agents if they're good enough, you know. Um, and that's their right, you know. Thirty, well, now thirty-two teams with the addition of Seattle have the opportunity to draft seven players over a three-year period. So, if they get passed over, it's on the team, you know. So that is the player's right to figure out um, who they want to to sign or where they want to sign and where they want to, you know give the, give their career a shot at. Um, so Danny was no different. Uh, he obviously made a terrific choice in Detroit and, and he's, he's had a great career ever since. I've heard like stories of like guys having like, like being really aggressive in the recruiting process, like having to like yeah. meet, you know, meeting guys that they are tr- really hoping to sign, you know, several times, maybe even over a dozen times in a given season, you know, be, were there were there any guys like that who over the time that you had to you developed a very lengthy relationships with whether it's in one or multiple seasons like a guy like I know like say like Bobby Trevino this season at UMass he didn't go yep. free agent uh, last season so now he's a free agent again this season I'm sure people have been talking to him uh, for long periods of time were there any examples like like that that you can recall yeah there are a lot um one is is um I wasn't too involved in it because it was still early, early in my tenure. But Stan Smeal became very close with uh, with Tyler Bozak when we were trying to sign him out of Denver. Um, you know, and and he had a bad, I, I think it was shoulder. I think he's he had a nasty shoulder separation that limited his ability to play his sophomore year. And we were prepared to to pay for his surgery. Hey, sign with us today, and and we'll send you to the best doctors, and we'll get your your shoulder all cleaned up. That kind of thing. Um, you know, uh, so, so that stuff, yeah, people, teams will get aggressive if they see a, a, a need or a fit for a college free agent, they're going to do anything and everything they can to separate themselves. Um, you know, there are a lot of players like that where I spent two, three, four years developing relationships with, and, and they chose other teams. Um, Harry Zolnercheck was a kid at Brown, ended up signing as a college free agent out of, uh, um, out of Brown to, uh, to Philly. And I got to know him pretty well um, for two reasons. One, I was seeing Brown a lot the the previous years because we signed Aaron Volpatti uh, as a college free agent um, the year prior, and then uh, and and then we wanted to sign Harry afterwards. Uh, we saw a fit for him. His energy is 
his high compete level, the way he stood in front of the net, took a beating and did anything, anything and everything he could to be a difference maker. Um, that's the type of player that, that shows character night in and night out. And, and obviously, you know, he had a lengthy professional career as well. How early does that kind of process start for, for these college guys? I mean, it, obviously teams kind of have their development camps that you can give a kid a, an invite to. And I imagine there's an element of recruitment in that. But like, you know, when are you first touching base with a kid? When, have, when do you feel like you've kind of identified your targets? Because some of these guys are there for four years. It's a great question. And, and, and that's the kids, right? You know, like I went to college and it was the best four years of my life. You know, that, that age old saying it was, I went to the University of Vermont and I, I wouldn't trade a minute of it for the world. It was great. Um, I learned a lot. Um, in the, both obviously in the classroom and about myself from a maturity standpoint. Uh, with that said, um, you know, you, you want to be aggressive because you got a job to do. You know, as a scout, your objective is to find players that make your organization better. Um, and, and that's what I try to do every day. Um, you know, when do you start kind of developing that relationship from day one uh, that you see see something in a player, right? When I would evaluate college free agents, there's always one question I always ask myself. What is the player's one NHL skill? You you watch a kid play and he has to have, from, from minute one, he has to have one NHL skill, whether it's speed, whether it's strength on the puck, whether it's skill, whether it's shot, like what is his one skill and how good is he at that? Um, and then you evaluate the other components to his game. Um, so once you kind of identify that skill, then you start watching how he's going to develop over, you know, the next two, three, four years, um, sometimes less, sometimes more. There are players that sign too early. There are, pl- there, there are players that maybe overcook uh, at the NCAA level from a free agent standpoint. One player that kind of comes to mind um, that, you know, was ready before he, he signed, um, actually two, um, but one in particular is Matt Reed out of Bemidji State. You know, he he could have signed, in my opinion, after the Frozen Four in 2009. He was ready to make a difference, and, and he went back to Bemidji for two more years. Um, and, and again, that was his right. He saw other things in his game that he wanted to improve upon. You mentioned the one attribute part about a guy standing out. You know, when, when I've kind of watched college free agents over the years and talking to other scouts who have watched college free agents, um, you know, with, with due respect, there, there's usually a reason they get passed over in, in multiple drafts. You know, if you're sure. a premium athlete, you know, a 6'2 guy who could skate and you have some, you have technical skill and you're competitive, the chances that that guy goes undrafted is so slim. So when you get a guy like a DeKaiser who's big and he can skate and, you know, that's what gets everybody kind of crazy. So like, is it in your experience that you're usually working like with guys who have skating flaws or are or small and maybe not like overly dynamic and you, you're trying to find the one guy of those, those that, that bundle of guys who kind of look the same that you think will actually help your organization? Yeah, I, you know, it's a tough question to answer, quite honestly, Corey. It's a great question. It's just a difficult one to answer because I, I think it's very position specific, you know. Um, if you have a defenseman that isn't a very good skater and that's what he needs to work on, I I don't – like I'm not going to look too closely at him. Obviously, you want to watch his ability to think the game, his ability to make the, make a first pass, defend. Um, but the way the NHL is, is today, you know, Name me one team that has, you know, three, four, even really one bad skating defenseman. There aren't many, um, at least not many competitive ones. So you got to be able to skate. Um, but, you know, if you're a center iceman um, and, and you think the game at a high level, 
but maybe your first few steps in terms of quickness and agility aren't great. I'm going to, I'm going to look twice at you, um, for sure. Um, but, uh, but again, it, it all depends on the position in my opinion. I think that kind of leads in really well to, to talking about one of the guys you've signed and that's, that's Troy Stetcher, who's a guy who, uh, from the Vancouver area, I imagine that probably helped sure. your, your case. But when you talk about kind of the, the traits, I mean, he was a guy in college, especially early in college undersized, and he wasn't a, a dynamic producing defenseman those first couple of years. I think that kind of came more. Um, in his third year, like what what did you see in Troy Stetcher, and what was that process of of getting him signed? Like, was it? I mean, how much did you lean on the hometown aspect to get him? Yeah, I mean, um, well, it was crucial. He came to our development camp after his first year at North Dakota, and, and it made sense, right? He's from Richmond, British Columbia, local kid, easy to get in and out, and and you know his his father, I believe, uh, was had had a small season ticket package. Um, I can't really remember how many or if it was through his work, but he, he grew up going to a fair amount of games. Um, so it was a no brainer on our part, despite the fact that he only had 10, I think it was 10 or 11 points in his first year, uh, at North Dakota. Um, but obviously playing in Penticton in the BCHL, uh, we knew enough about, um, about his, his kind of resume. Um, and, and we kind of took it from there. Uh, so, you know, we, we met him, we wanted to learn a little bit more about him as a person, what made him tick. And, and the first time I really had a, a, a good old fashioned sit down with, with, with Troy, it was pretty obvious that he was driven. Um, you know, he had that it factor, the way he carried himself, his professionalism and, and the tone of his voice. I want to be an NHL player. Tell me what to do. You know, he had this authoritative tone to his voice that really stuck with me. And I remember looking at Stan um, after, you know, we, we chatted with him and um, Steamer's like, wow, like, I don't, I don't give a shit about his size. He's going to figure out a way to make it. And, and we always, Stan always used to joke too, because, you know, he was, he, he played in the eighties at, at five foot eight, you know, and, <laughs> And was a bull in a china shop, so uh, he 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 has a little bit of a soft spot for those you know smaller guys in terms of, of size. But anyways, uh, I digress. It's um, it's one of those things that you know watching him play and develop uh, in the next two years, how he carried himself. Um, Stan Ryan Johnson and I saw him at the start of uh, his junior year um, in a couple of games, uh, actually at my alma mater, UVM, and. And, you know, we said hello to him after the game. Um, we also had, obviously, Brock Besser, uh, who was our first-round pick at that time. So it, it just kind of made sense. It was easy for us to continue to build the relationship over a, a two-plus-year period. Um, and then, uh, you know, for them to accomplish their goal uh, as a team under Brad Berry's leadership at NODAC uh, of winning a national title, um, you know, he had that winning pedigree and, and that attitude that that we were looking for. So we were fortunate enough that he uh, he decided to come home and choose us. But um, I'd be lying if I said there were a couple of nights in there where I was wondering if we actually were going to get him or not, you know, because if you don't get him, it's a lot of work that you, 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 and time and effort that, uh, you know, is all for naught. But that's the nature of the business. One question I had in terms of like the role of the college free agent scout is how you feel like that position fits into an organization uh, compared to the amateur staff and, and the pro staff. So I feel like it's a position that, uh, the average fan doesn't know a lot about. Obviously, sure. the amateur draft gets the gets the whole weekend on TV during you know every summer, and pro scouts may not get the same limelight, but they still have the trade deadline and free agent frenzy where their impact is more prominent, bringing in major assets to an organization. You know, how would you describe the role and the value of a college free agent scout? You know, whether it's you know the ability to bring in players that you don't have to use 
draft capital on or or get or something along those lines. It, it, I always call it the the island job, right? You're kind of on an island. You're not quite a, a, a pro scout. You're not quite an amateur scout. You're sort of you know tucked in between both. Um, uh, but I loved it, and and, and Mike Gillis, uh, who you know former uh, general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, um, he had a great philosophy. He's like, hey, you know, uh, we trust your abilities. You you go out, you find these players. You, you know, we we need you to be successful in this role because at the time. You know, we were chasing Lord Stanley's Cup, the Holy Grail, um, and we needed to use those draft, that draft capital, that those assets, um, to be competitive uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, not necessarily to utilize and actually trade away the picks, but um, it was important for us to recognize that we had those assets in place, um, and and he needed, as well as the rest of the management team, to know that um, there were a couple of guys that that we could we could potentially sign in college free agency to sort of alleviate some of the stress that comes around, you know, with those higher end draft picks. Um, so from a philosophical standpoint, it was great working for Mike in that regard because he really trusted uh, Stan. He trusted me um, and, um, and, and our abilities to go out, build relationships and find quality players um, to make the team competitive. And the one guy that comes to mind really that you guys did when you guys were, you know, when, when Vancouver was really competitive was bringing in Chris Tanev, uh, who has to be one of the most uh, successful college free agent signings of the last 10, 15 years. You have a guy who must be coming up on 600 something NHL games that'd be comparable to like a top 15, top 20 NHL draft pick. Uh, you know, I mean, that guy's a perfect example of, you know, almost kind of giving you a first round pick almost in errors in times where you were losing draft capital. Well, and that's why we were able to go to the draft in LA in 2010 and, and, you know, feel, feel a little bit rel- relatively more comfortable making that deal um, for Keith Ballard. Uh, we moved the 25th overall pick. I believe we had um, uh, in that deal because a few weeks earlier we had signed Chris and, and we knew what we had. Um, you know, the TANF signing was terrific, but, um, you know, it was, it was a collaborative effort. Uh, we don't sign him if we, if Dave Gagne doesn't have the relationship that he did with him from a young age. Uh, we don't sign him if, if Stan, um, you know, doesn't, doesn't get on a plane and go see him play. Um, and we don't sign him if, if we don't learn a little bit more about him and, and his growth spurt that hit later in life and, and the things that he was doing to become a hockey player, strengthen it up his upper body and, 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 and go to work, so to speak. Um, he was committed. Obviously it's worked out and, and, you know, he's a terrific player that's made a hell of a career for himself. I've got a couple for you on kind of the nuts and bolts of how that kind of plays out. When you're in them sure. in these meetings with kids mm-hmm. and you're trying to sell them on Vancouver, do they ever kind of say like, well, look, you know, if you like me, why didn't you draft me or that kind of thing? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, th- uh, that's when I throw Judd Brackett right under the bus, you know, <laughs> for right now. <laughs> no. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They do. Um, you know, and, and quite candidly, like that's, it's a fair question to ask. If you like me enough, why didn't you draft me? And, and that's one that a lot of agents and advisors always ask. Hey, if you like the kid that much, like why, why the hell didn't you use your seventh round pick on him a few, a few months ago? Um, you know, it, it's a fair question. It's an honest question. And the reality is, is, um, you can't draft everybody, you know? Um, um, and that's kind of where, you know, being on the Island comes into play a little bit, uh, that, that I was alluding to earlier, 
you need to have a really strong relationship as a college free agent scout. You need to have a really strong relationship with your uh, director of amateur scouting. Um, and when I and and Judd Bracken and I, when he was in Vancouver, we had a we still have a great relationship, but we had a really great working relationship um, along with a lot of others, um, you know, in the organization. But uh, but Judd and, and Dan Palango are two guys that you know we would meet and, and speak regularly on guys that maybe were passed over and have potential to uh, to take another step. Well, and then, you know, I guess this, this follows that is, is kind of when, when you're in that process and you mentioned this, I think a little bit with Stetcher, that the drive that, that you guys saw in him, I mean, how, how much are, is what they want to know about you kind of something that's maybe a different even department in, in terms of player development? Like if I, I think if I'm a kid that's really driven, that's probably one of the first things I need to know is, you know, what's your track record of getting guys like me in, into the NHL? And am I going to get a look over guys who you might've drafted even ahead of me? So the the first relationship you have to be that has to be really strong is with your director of amateur scouting, like I just alluded to. The second one is with your director of player development. You need that individual or team to recognize um, and be assertive in how they want to approach a player. Um, they need to be receptive to the things that you're saying and where you see this kid, not just today, but where he was yesterday and where he's going tomorrow. Um, you know, Ryan Johnson, um, he's the general manager in, in Utica and director of player development and, and Stan Smeal was also uh, in that role as well. And the three of us spoke regularly throughout the year on players, you know, Hey, here's where he is now. This is where I think he can be. You need to come see him and, and give me your, you know, your two cents. Um, you know, a lot of the times we agreed, a lot of times we didn't. Um, and that's the, the fun part of the job, right? Um, but if you don't have that relationship, internally or those relationships internally, you're not going to be successful um, in the college free agent market, in my opinion. Yeah. You mentioned the relationship you had with with your amateur staff. And I think that's one of the interesting things about being a college-specific scout. I know you did some pro scouting too, but your, your focus was on the college, is that it's such a large amount of teams. Maybe not as large as like college football, but it's a large amount of teams. They sure. all play at the exact same time. They're not all centrally located in the same region. Um so how do you in a and the college season is not like very long. You have I think a very short window to identify and to start recruiting at almost. You know, how did you manage that? How do you how did you how do you zero in on the guys that you know you you're going to you're going to try to recruit? You know, is it do you lean on video to kind of to plug the gaps during the weekdays because there's only you only see games usually on Fridays and Saturdays? You know, how would that process go for you? Yeah, um, you got to get really close with your local florist to send flowers to your wife quite regularly, um, <laughs> because at the drop of a hat, you could be going anywhere. Um, no, it, it's an important question. I had the luxury of living in Boston, right? Um, and, and in Boston, you know, they play a lot of, of midweek games. Um, you know, Harvard will drive two miles across town to play Northeastern on a Tuesday. Um, so, so that. Day. Right, exactly. So that was a luxury that I had um, from a travel perspective. But. Um, you know, every August when all 60 schedules would be released, it's a giant jigsaw puzzle. Um, and that, that team credit card bill gets a good workout in that month because you're booking flights, you're booking rental cars, you're booking hotels to go, uh, you know, fly into Minnesota, hop down and, and see Mankato on a Friday night and then shoot up to Duluth on Saturday and, and see, you know, whoever's visiting there. Um, from a, a, a more detailed perspective, you have – you have your short list going into the season of guys that you want to focus on and, and watch from a close close eye early on and, and get in to see. Um, 
but uh, but your list is going to change over the course of a year. Um, you know, I always tried to to delegate a little bit. Um, you know, some of the amateur guys that maybe we're seeing seeing a, a, a team that that didn't really have anybody of of note. Um, hey, keep an eye on on a few guys there. If anybody jumps out, let me know. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm just going to cross them off the list. I don't need to worry about seeing them. And um, and again, that's important to the relationship um, uh, between the amateur and, and the college free agent staff. Do you have a one that got away in, in the in that time? Like a one that's like I always wished. You know, that I, that I, I'm sure there's a ton that did get <laughs> yeah. away, but, it, but is there yeah. one that like you never got over? Like 13 years later, you're still like I still think we should have had that. Yeah, uh, you know, I I there are a lot. There are a lot of players. I, I Tyler Bozak would have been a hell of a hockey player for for Vancouver. I really would have loved to to bring him on. Um, but there are two that that come to mind. Um, one is uh, one is Kevin Miller. Um, who was a, a friend of mine at the University of Vermont. He was a few years behind me. Well, that's a tough and, one then. <laughs> well, it's a tough one, but we also had him in development camp at two th- in 2010. Um, we had we had like who's who of development camp that year. We had like Milsey, we had Taylor Fadoon, we had uh, Josh Juris, we had Keith Kincaid, uh, Matt Frazier, I think was there. Uh, we had we had a bunch of players that that all went on to play. Um, but, but Millsy particularly because I knew what made him tick, right? Like I, I knew him as a person, um, and, and we just didn't have the contracts at the time. You know, we, we didn't have the ability to sign him. Um, and then he went to, uh, he took an invite, he took a, a, a PT or ATO in Boston and, you know, the rest is history, but couldn't be more proud of, of his ability to, to make, um, make a hell of a career, uh, for himself. Um, so that's one. And then two, um, Neil Pionk, uh, was a defenseman that I really, really would have loved to have. Um, and that one, that one just pissed me off because for all intents and purposes, we were told he was going back to school. And then all of a sudden, you know, he inks with the Rangers at like a random time in the summer. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what is this? Excuse my language. I'm just no, like, what good. is this? You know, I, but, I, but that one, that one strikes a little bit. So those, those three guys kind of come to mind, but yeah. you know, like I said, you can't win them all. Has Pionk, has Pionk exceeded your expectations, even though you liked him as a college free agent? Because, I mean, he's become a hell of a hockey player right now. Um, has he exceeded my expectations? Um, yeah, probably. Um, and, and the reason why I say probably is because you're seeing him in a lot of tough matchups, right? He's relied to match up against some heavy, heavy hitters. Um, in that central division on a nightly basis. And even, even when he was in New York, um, you know, he was, he was asked to do a lot. Um, so yeah, I think, I think his ability to match up, um, close gaps, play tight in one-on-one coverage, roll against power, roll against, against speed. I mean, he's, he's a hell, he's a hell of a hockey player. Um, so I think, yeah, I guess, I guess you could say he's, he's exceeded my expectations. Yeah. On that topic, are there a couple of college free agents then over the years that come to mind that you know were much better or not as good in the, in the NHL as you thought they'd be? Uh, yeah, um, you know, a couple guys come to mind that I I didn't really think twice about. One is actually Luke Glendening. Um, kudos to that kid. Hell of a career he's had. Um, you know, obviously, I I saw him at Michigan, um, and I. Correct. You guys would know better than me, but I don't think he ever had more than twenty points, twenty-five points at most. Um, you know, he wasn't a real graceful skater. He was playing. He was playing in in all you know tough, 
excuse me, all sorts of tough matchups, but he came from New England prep school, um, went to Michigan, obviously, um, you know, competed hard, uh, found a role, uh, made the most of his opportunity, you know, goes into to Grand Rapids really is, you know, just kind of a local tryout um, on an ATO. And next thing you know, he's he's matching up against anybody ever under the sun in the Calder Cup playoffs. So he's really had a hell of a career. Um, I tip my cap to that kid because um, I didn't think much of him in, at Michigan um, quite candidly. You were right. Uh, 21 points, I think, was his high. Was that, was that what yeah. it was? It was 21? 21, yeah. And that was 21? in like 40-some yeah. games. So I don't even think – I don't even yeah, know if yeah. half a point per game. Yeah, half a point per game was uh, – his senior year, twenty one and forty one, and before that, yeah, twenty one and forty five. I saw them play. It must have been his senior. I I think it was his senior year. I saw him play early in the year against like Mercyhurst or something, and and he had a good game. But I certainly didn't walk out of the rink, you know, screaming NHL contract for that kid. Um, but uh, but like I said, hell of a career. Um, and, uh, he's made the most of his opportunities. So, um, yeah, I tip my cap to him for sure. Player prediction is not easy. I mean, I would have, you know, if I was watching, uh, you know, Walker Dewar last season, I wouldn't have thought he'd be an NHL call up, uh, this season, but, uh, I didn't think, you know, watching that team, he was a top three, four player on his team, but, uh, sometimes that happens. We get, we get ones wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And and it's a subjective job, you know. Corey, you might you may have seen that kid against, you know, the best team in the league, and he might have been dashed too, and and they lost the game five nothing. But you know, maybe I saw him against the worst team in the league. He had you know two goals and was plus three, and and you know had the game of his life. Um, those things happen, you know, and that's where communication is so important amongst your staff members. Um, it, it's a subjective job, um, that everyone expects an objective result. You know, it's that simple. Jonathan, uh, I, I know we're running a little tight on time here, but you know, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now with the, with the Elevate 02 podcast and, um, you and, uh, Tori Mitchell, Brian Strait, Brady Farkas, and what you guys have going on over there? Yeah. Yeah. No, I appreciate you asking. We're having a lot of fun. Um, uh, Tori, uh, Tori Mitchell, a former NHL uh, player, he uh, he and another one of our friends, uh, Peter Lennis, uh, the three of us went to college together. But Pete and, and Mitch started Elevate 02, which is a small ice um, uh, facility in uh, in Essex, Vermont, where they do one-on-one skill development and training for for young kids, boys and girls alike. Um, and they started this really just with a passion of, of giving back to the game of hockey. And um, fast forward a few years, and, and they're growing like a weed. Uh, they've got franchises, um, people buying in all over the country, which is terrific. Um so, so Mitch, Mitch and I go back, uh, to our UVM days, one of my very good friends from college and he and I were kind of chatting one day about, um, you know, our experiences, mine from, you know, hockey operations standpoint and his as a player. And, and we decided to kind of put this podcast together called the, uh, the Elevate 02 podcast where, uh, we share our experiences, um, kind of life and hockey operations, his from a player's perspective, mine from, from a scouting perspective. And then Brian Strait. Uh, former Islander defenseman and uh, U.S. national team um, product, as well as uh, national champion at BU, which he likes to remind us of. But uh, <laughs> but we brought in Strader too. No, we brought in Strader too because he's a nice blend between the two, right? He he had a great career um, from a player's perspective, and now he's scouting for New Jersey. Uh, so he's a good blend. Um, so we're having fun with it. We're just kind of sharing a little bit more about experience, what you know, kind of goes on behind the scenes in the war room, and and looking to grow. So. Um, yeah, Elevato two E L E V eight zero two dot com and Elevato two the podcast can be found uh, 
anywhere you get your podcasts uh, or our YouTube channel. Fantastic. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. It was great to have you here and great to hear a lot of really good stories and insights from uh, from a long career in the NHL. So make sure you check out his work at, at the Elevate 02 podcast. I wish you guys uh, all the best. Thank you for, very much for having me. And um, Max, don't worry about showing up later, right, buddy? <laughs> hey, the, the, the listeners didn't know about that. The listeners didn't know. <laughs> Fashionably late. Fashionably late. Thanks again, guys. All right. Thanks again to Jonathan Bates from the Elevate O2 podcast, which is E-L-E-V-802 podcast for joining us on the show today. I thought that was a really fun conversation. I actually learned a ton about kind of the ins and outs of that job. So hopefully everybody out there feels like they got a lot out of it too. Uh, Corey, we're going to get to your uh, who I got wrong about list in a second here, which as I said, is one of my favorite articles that we uh, force you to do each year. But but I know you've been watching um, quite a few tournaments lately. I think there are three, three recent ones. The U20 had a four nations, the U18 had a five nations. And then there's the senior tournament, the Karjala Cup, which usually has at least some um, relevant junior players at it. Um, what was the standouts from from your observations at um, you know watching those tournaments lately? Yeah, uh, sure thing. And also just kind of echo your thoughts. I, I really appreciated that j- the conversation w- w- with Jonathan. And uh, I kind of always tell people uh, I, I gain so much from talking to NHL scouts and executives um, on an insight level. I think it's easy for me, people like me, to sit here and kind of espouse my own opinions. Um, but the people with the real life experiences of going th- going through these things who are who have done it professionally. Um, those are the people who have helped cultivate my skill set, uh, the way I present myself, the way I do my work. And you kind of see from talking to someone like Jonathan, uh, the wealth of knowledge and the perspective uh, that he has. Uh, but touching on the international tournaments, last week was the international tournament break. We now have a real international schedule, unlike the last two seasons where we're going to have breaks in November, February, uh, and, and April uh, for various international tournaments. And for the, for the NHL draft, at least this year's NHL draft, because there was a U-17 event that USA won, uh, the three that came to mind were, like you said, the U-18s, 20, and, and the senior level. Uh, the U-18 tournament was all about Team, team USA. That was the ntdp 04s first official tournament as an age group collectively, and they were dominant. Uh, there was never really a game where I thought they were in danger of losing it. Um just the team as a whole, I, th- I thought was really rolling. Uh, the top guys uh, like Logan Cooley, Isaac Howard, Frank Nazar, uh, they all played very well. And then you had secondary guys like Lane Hudson, uh, like Cole Spicer, uh, like Seamus Casey uh, that did really well. Gavin Brindley came in from the USHL. He held his own. Uh, Jimmy Snuggerud played well. Uh, just as a general, as a whole, I thought the age, that NTDP group showed there's a lot of top two, top three, top four round prospect on that team to go with several first round prospects. Not everybody played well. I didn't think Ryan Chesley had his best tournament. Uh, you talk to people around the league. Like, if he was a, considered like a first round lock, he might be like a bubble first rounder right now coming out of that event. Um, and there were some other guys like on the other teams. Like I expected Eli Salmonson from Sweden to like stand out at at that level and he was he was good he wasn't amazing kind of other guy i think if, I'm, if he was a first round lock for you going in he might be bubble first high two uh right now uh so those were the main takeaways for me from that event um snuggerud is, is one guy who really quick i just wanted to follow up on because 
Um, I think he had a hat trick in one of these games. He's a guy who's off to a really strong start overall for the NTDP in the U18s this season. Is there a change that's been made in his game, or is this uh, just kind of part of the natural progression of the 17 to 18? I think that he's still not a good skater, but talking to scouts around the league, they have noticed there have been some improvements in his skating from a year or two ago that have helped him elevate. He's very skilled, very intelligent, good size, really good shot. Um, yeah, he had a, he had uh, two very strong games uh, in, in among the four that that he played, and and yeah, I think he's a guy who looks. I don't know if he's a first rounder, but I think he could be a second round pick. I, I wouldn't blink um, if if that happened to him. Uh, the guys who I thought like really like stood out on that team were Isaac Howard and Frank Nazar, who played on the line together. Because I don't think their USHL games have been all that impressive to start. So seeing them go to that level and just like look and like consistent standouts um, versus their age group, I-, I thought was very notable and-, and helped their first round arguments. For sure. Sorry, I cut you off there as you were getting ready to transition into the uh, the U twenty and the Carjala. No, no, that's fine. I mean, this is meant to be a discussion of the, the U24 Nations, which features some drafted players and also some premium uh, draft eligibles. On the drafted front, uh, he only played in two of the three games, but Detroit Simon Edvinson uh, I thought was very good in the two games he played. He showed really good skill. He was physical, you know, played with you know not amazing pace, but decent pace. Uh, they didn't play him in all three games just because I think they said because he was recently injured. They wanted to rest him for, for the third game. There was, no, there was no issues there in that regard. He looks like, you know, for Swe- this Sweden um, World Junior team is not going to be amazing outside of him and, and William Eklund, presuming that, you know, Lucas Raymond obviously is pro- talking to get loaned given that he, the choice is kind of leaning on him a little bit right now. And Alex Holtz is up with the Devils. Um, so if they're going to have a chance to medal, Evanson is going to need to be like the best defenseman in the tournament. And and we'll and we'll see whether that comes to pass. Uh, Jesper Walsh did the Minnesota goalie prospect. I thought it was just okay. I didn't think he ha- had his best tournament there for Sweden. Um, but uh, he's a really he's had up to a really strong start. So I still think he's a great prospect. Uh, Emil Andre, uh, the the Philly prospect, was named the defenseman of the tournament. Uh, very skilled and competitive, small defenseman. Not an amazing skater, but good enough. I think he's a good prospect. Having a pretty strong season versus men right now. Uh, so that was notable. Uh, you will remember from watching the World Junior Summer Showcase that that line of Aturatu, uh, Ronnie Hervonen, and Casper Simon Taval uh, was very good there. For sure. And Simon Taval wasn't there this time. They rotated a Brad Lambert and Kelly Faison in on that line. But Hervonen and Ratu were, again, among the better players versus their age group. And for Finland to medal, they're going to need to kill it at the World Juniors. And at least from the two times they've played together this year – uh, those two have been impressive players, which I think you know, is is good. You know, I think Toronto and Islanders fans would, will will be happy to hear. Um, yeah, Lambert has had a tough first half so far this season. I actually thought he had some good flashes there. Um, I think he's been scoring a little bit more in Liga of late, so a little bit more some positive signs uh, from him on, on that front. Um, and then, the, and then the last team we want to talk about because the Czechs didn't really have anything there from a draft perspective. Yuri Kulich was okay, I thought. Um, would be would be for Russia, where it had two premium draft eligibles on that team, and Ivan Mirostachenko and Danila Yurov. Yep. Mirostachenko started off uh, on on the first line, giving giving a letter. Like I I don't think letters are like all the end all be all, but for a seventeen year old to be given that responsibility on a, on a World Junior team, 
ooh, at least a U twenty level team is notable to me when they and it speaks to the the high character I hear about him a lot from from NHL scouts. Uh, he was pretty good. Yurov kept getting more ice time as the tournament went along, and he was a standout there. The seventh round pick by Carolina, Alexander Pashin, uh, was rather good there too. Uh, so those would be the takeaways for me uh, from that tournament. Just to hone in on Lambert really quick there. I mean, he's a guy who we've seen kind of maybe stock slide a little bit through the first half of this season. But to, to go back to a name that you mentioned earlier in that kind of summary, Atu Ratu was a guy who last year I think maybe experienced a little bit of that too in the same league. And, and ultimately I think in the post-draft uh, you know months maybe has seen himself rebound a little bit. I, I'm just – I know they're very different styles of players. But yep. maybe do we – underappreciate the, the difficulty of playing in Liga, especially when we assess these guys that have this really high stock coming in. Yeah, I think it's a fair argument. Uh, Ratu's didn't really play that well with Karpat when he went back also too, so it kind of like, looks, looks kind of similar to his draft year. Uh, he, he's since been transferred to, uh, to Jokerit in Liga, where he's actually been quite good. So we'll see how the rest of his season goes uh, with, with that club. Uh, the difference between Lambert and Ratu, I think, for will be that Ratu not only had production issues, he had skating issues too, whereas Lambert's a dynamic skater, which I think will... I'm not talking to many NHL scouts who say he's not a first-rounder. Um, so I, I don't... At least at this current time, things can change. At this current time, I'm not expecting a drastic slide uh, from Lambert because he's dynamic skill, dynamic speed. Uh, those things, will I think, will still make him a first-rounder, even though he, I think he has some flaws that, that, that Ratu doesn't. Um, but this has not just been a first half of this season kind of thing. Sure. I think there's been some talking to scouts. They say this is a three-year trend with Lambert where they're noticing some flaws in his game that can be continued to be accentuated, mainly his compete level, perimeter play, lack of playmaking at times. Um, but that being said, he has some special elements, and I still think he'll go in the first round and has a chance to be a very good NHL player. Yeah, you know, I, I certainly can see that, especially the perimeter aspect of that is something that when I've watched Lambert, which admittedly in person has not been very much, it's been really limited to, to one tournament, um, but but has shown up. And what I guess my, if I were in a position to be evaluating him for a team, I think the thing that I, I would be debating in myself is like, how much am I going to worry about this now? And how much am I going to look at the toolkit, the skill, the speed, and just, you know, bet almost on the fact that, you know, there's a certain point in the draft where you're not going to find guys that have traits as high a level as either of those two are for him. Right. That's why Fabian Liesel went around 20. That's why Brian Merkley went around 20. There's going to be a certain point where a guy's too dynamic that someone's going to take a shot. doesn't mean to say he's going to go at the 20 spot, but I'm just making it making for an example sure. uh, purpose. Uh, and then the last tournament was the Cardiala tournament. Not as much from a, from a young NHL prospect perspective. Really, you know, it was the focus was on Russia in that respect who brought a very young team. Um, you know, the story obviously was about they had a 16-year-old on that senior men's <laughs> team and Matvey Michkov who, sco- uh, who scored one goal, a lacrosse-style goal, and had another assist on a very nice play. Um, I'm not going to say he was amazing throughout the tournament, but a 16-year-old was able to do that, like look like he belongs at that level, that speaks to the fact that this is a unique prospect who are we talking about for a very long time, um, even though he is signed for a while in the KHL. Uh, there were a couple other NHL prospects to note. I thought the Winnipeg prospect, uh, Nikita Chibrikov, was, was rather solid in that his skating for a size not amazing, but I thought he showed very good, a very good puck game. He competed very well, showed he could win battles versus men, even as a teenage undersized winger, which I thought was rather promising. 
the other Winnipeg prospect, Roshevsky, which we talked about on the podcast before, was there. I didn't think he was like, amazing. I thought he was okay. But I thought he showed he could hold his own at that level, which is what we kind of wanted to see. Um, I thought that, uh, that Askarov in the one game he played kind of struggled. It's only one game, though, uh, for a teenage goalie at the highest, you know, at the senior level. Um, but that was kind of uh, not an amazing uh, showing from him on, on that front. And the other one that was interesting from a, from a draft perspective was that that David Yerichek was playing for the senior Czech team, not at the U20 level. Um, he also, I wouldn't say, was great. I thought he just steady, held his own, you know, was able to move the puck well enough, defended okay, skating for that level was, you know, looked just okay, I thought. But again, you know, you know, draft first year draft eligible player playing versus uh, men in a in a senior tournament, I think shows the fact that he's then looked overwhelmed playing power play, played penalty kill. Um, I thought that showed that he was you know a real premium prospect, and I expect he'll still go, he would go high in NHL draft if it would be held uh, next week. Obviously, it, it varies by nation a lot with this, but there are pretty good prospects who even after they've been drafted aren't you know chosen for these. Um, Karjala teams and, and you know there's a series of tournaments that the name is escaping me of that, that plays out throughout Ch- the year but channel one cup and so on that's and so correct forth. yeah exactly right so but there's good prospects who don't get picked for, for these teams throughout the year in the year or even sometimes the, the two years following their drafts so to be in there I know it, it varies by country a lot like Sweden's yeah. always going to have a really um, you know big team to, to bring to that and maybe the Czech maybe I, I could understand it a little more but it always impressive when, when a draft eligible kid is getting picked for those teams yep no I mean yeah I mean I it, it's it's not common, and you have to always put it, all these things in context. So it doesn't stand out at this level, or a seventeen-year-old goes even to the U twenty levels. It doesn't stand out. I forgot to mention like Jonathan Lekaromaki and Liam Ogren on on Sweden, who are drafted eligibles, and they played very prominent roles. Lekaromaki is a guy I keep talking to scouts. Is a guy who continues to rise as a guy who has pretty you know good speed, really good hands, and, and it really looks like to be. Um, along with Yo Kim Kamel, like be the goal scoring threat uh, of this draft class. Um, he has a pretty elite shot. Um, and the fact that he's able to you know, kind of you know, look like he belonged at the U20 level, it's a very young 17 year old thing. It's like a June or July 04. Uh, that's not easy to do from, from my history of watching those events. Absolutely. All right, let's go from there into your what I uh, prospects I got wrong about article, which you do every year. I, I joke that it's my favorite article, but I actually do think it's a really great thing that you do because I think not only is it a measure of accountability, which I think is probably what a lot of readers enjoy about it. I like the window into where, where you saw a prospect then and, and the progression that you've seen him make now. And, um, I, you know, this year's the, the names on him. Um, obviously, I hope people will go read the article, but Moritz Sider, David Gustafson, Jonathan Dolan, Shane Pinto are some of the ones you, you said you were too low on. And I think, you know, the, the flip side of it, Alex Turcotte uh, and Dominic Bach, Patrick Puistola, some of the guys that, that you were too high on. And, and I'm not going to uh, go through all of these here uh, really quick, but I did want to hone in on a couple of them. Um, the first one being Turcotte, because that was a guy who in his draft year was one of my first years on the beat and covering the Red Wings. The draft is a very big part of my beat. And um, Turcotte is a guy that I thought uh, I, I thought was pretty close to a can't miss um, partly because of his style of play and the way it blended with his skill. Why two years later, three years later, do you feel like you were too high on Turcotte at the time? Right. And I think we want to kind of, you know, put the proper caveats in here. I don't think uh, Turcotte's not, Turcotte's going to miss. Right, I right. think Tur- I think Turcotte is going to be a very good NHL player. I project him currently as a second line forward in the NHL, whether it's center or the wing, uh, we'll, we'll find out. 
Um, you know, he's off to a pretty strong start this year. He has nine points in 12 games in the American League as we record this. Um, but I was, you know, I adored Turcon as a pro, as a draft eligible prospect. Um, the fifth, he was fifth overall. He was number three on my on my list going into into that draft. I saw like a potential strong potential first line center type of prospect guy who had could be a really elite two way guy. I saw excellent feet, excellent skills, sense. He competed so hard. His production was always just incredible. Um, like there was just like, oh, it's like this guy has everything. Like there's no way he's not going to become like a stud. And it doesn't mean he won't be able to be a very good player. But I think realistically, after as we've seen this the 2019 draft progress over the last couple of years, we've seen what's happened with Kirby Doc. We've seen what's happened with with Moritz Sider. Um, we've seen what's happened with Trevor Zegras. You know, he wouldn't be number three right now. He wouldn't be number five. I mean, I mean, you not know, go that much later, but but it's just a reality. Yep. Um, and I think there's a couple of things with with Turcotte. Um, one is the you know every scout I talked to you about like who also was high on him. I asked, hey, what did we miss? It'd be one is he's five eleven, and I know people don't like him when we point to size of a prospect, but it's a variable. When you advance levels, your size is a variable. Your skating is going to be variable. Those are the and your compete. Those are the those are the things that prevent skilled players from translating to higher levels and that he was a 5'11 guy who was not like an elite elite skill guy um still meant he was gonna be pretty good in college it was gonna be pretty good in the pros um but it, it it's hindered him as he's as he's advanced because he can't do the things he did versus juniors and another thing about him that i i think i just it was always a problem in his in his skill set but it's something that I just casually overlooked, maybe because he just produced so much, is he never really scores goals, which is alarming because he's not like this dynamic playmaker. He, his value is how much he creates around the net, yeah, around the high, per, high percentage areas. You know, he, you know, in you know, looking at the numbers, he had, you know, it's, it's, he's always has like a two to one like goal to assist ratio in in the USHL and in college hockey and in the American League. Um, it just it just seems to be a trend with him that he doesn't really finish at a high level, which is not ideal. Um, and I just think there was like so much around him, and as you might recall from covering that draft, like the hype on that NTDP team was unreal, and I played a part in that. You know, is sure a, real, a reality that I that that, that I accept. Um, and I think you kind of just from what I watched that team so much. Like I watched almost every game they played, and you almost kind of maybe get by bought into that too much a little bit. And you can't can't then maybe see the forest through the trees there. And I I had I knew a lot of scouts. Obviously, LA was one of them who thought this guy's going to be a stud. Like this guy's on the on the path to stardom kind of thing. But there were some scouts who watched him, who told me, eh, you know, five eleven guy, he's a good skater. Don't think he's an amazing skater. Don't think that the puck game's like anything special. Like he's a nice player. I prefer him a ten as opposed to like three or four or or whatever. And I sure. think that's the opinion that's that's proven to be true. To your point about the size, and this is something that I, I think has kind of been come to be my feeling on the on the subject, is that it's not that you have to have size, speed, and skill, but you have to have some way to separate from defenders in one on one situations. Some guys do it with speed, some guys do it with with size and strength, and some guys do it with skill. But if you're going to do it with just skill, 
the skill better be crazy because it's really yeah. hard to do it on just skill. Yeah. I mean, I think I hear a lot of NHL evaluators make that argument that, you know, in an ideal world, you check all the boxes. Yeah. But if you're missing one of the boxes or two of the boxes in, in, a, in a notable way, those other boxes better have huge emphasis markers next to right. them. Right. You know, so, you know, if, if you're going to be five foot eight, you better be an electric skater with really good skill. Um, if you're going to have skating issues, you better be six foot three and, and compete really hard. Um, you know, we were talking about the podcast before with, with, with Jonathan. He mentioned, you know, how there's no like, um, you know, not a whole lot of competitive blue lines that don't have mobile defensemen. You know, well, Montreal went to the Stanley Cup finals with Shea Weber, who was an excellent player. He's not an amazing skater, but he's huge and competes like a bastard, and and is really right, physical. He covers ground, nonetheless. He, yes, he he does it in his own unique way. Yeah. Um, so I think those points are all valid. Yeah. All right. Uh, one of the guys that that you said you got wrong on the other flip side is is Shane Pinto, and that's a guy for Ottawa. Where you know I kind of feel like, and it's not certainly every pick, but Ottawa shows up on these lists from time to time with guys who. Maybe the public sphere did not love, and and after a few years, they turned out pretty good. Oh, no, I mean several years in a row. I had to put, put Brady Kachuk on this list a few years ago. I put Josh Norris on this list a couple uh, last year. Um, he, they they've appeared on this list several years in a row, um, which I'm sure Ottawa fans will take much will take much uh, pleasure in. Jake Sanderson's <laughs> tap tapping his finger right now, waiting on his on his turn. <laughs> and I, but I don't think like I've, I don't think I've. No, you had Sanderson fairly. You, you, yeah, you liked it, Sanderson. Yeah, like I don't think I was harsh on him. Like, like, and, and I know like Ottawa fans get triggered if I mention this. Like, I think I had him around ten on my last list. Well, so it's a yeah. little bit too, a little bit too low. But you've seen the draft like play out since then. Um, Lucas Raymond is doing some things in the NHL right now. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some other guys. Whether it's like you know Lundell Drysdale. or yeah, I'm not saying I would take Sanderson over Lundell or take him over Drysdale, but there's reasonable arguments to be had. I think. Um, you know, and, you know, so like, I don't think I was like, you, you have Jack Quinn now in the American League doing doing great things. You have Seth Jarvis is already up in the league. And, you know, it looks, looks like, you know, he I thought he'd go back, but he's, he's sticking around right now. Cole Perfetti continues to do excellent things. Marco Rossi's been really good in the American League. Holtz is up in the NHL. Like, you know, it, it's a, I don't think I was – I unless Sanderson like really like just kills it the next year or so, I don't think he'll be – he may not be – a quick mention list. I mean, maybe maybe with time, if he proves to be like the second or third or first best player of the draft, that would be that would be a, that'd be a candidate. But no, yeah, Ottawa. Yeah, Shane Pinto shows up here, uh, a pick that I think um, he was an interesting pick because I thought I watched a lot of him that year live and on video. Um, saw him in the USHL, saw him in the World Junior A Challenge, and I always thought he was just kind of boring, like six two center skating's just okay. Has some puck game, but he doesn't like dazzle you. Um, just looks like he's, you know, this big guy who works kind of hard and scores a couple of goals and and he he makes plays, but like there's nothing. He's point of game in the USHL, which is good, but nothing incredible. Although he did play on you know the second half of the year on a very very good team, um, and he was a top player on a team that that was arguably the best team in the USHL in the regular season in Tri City. Um, and I, that's one where I've kind of like learned, like, 
I don't think there was evidence at the time to suggest what he's become, which is a guy, is a top two line center prospect, a guy who's it looks like, at least when he's healthy, obviously he's had injury issues to start the season, that looks like a really premium prospect. I don't think the evidence at the time suggested that. And Ottawa didn't believe that either. I believe Dorian kind of said after they drafted him, they think he's a third line center. And I think they've kind of also, they, they've, he's exceeded their expectations. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there were, I think I've learned that the boring good guys can still be good. That there's nothing wrong with putting, you know, if you look through a given draft history, the guys who are playing full time NHL, full time NHL, you're talking 30 players, 35, 25, maybe 40 on, on the high end. There's not that many. So if there's a guy there, you know, who has some size, has compete, has has some offense, even if he's not like an amazing skater, like those guys tend to play games. And there's a place for them you know, on a draft list. Is it in the first round? Yeah, probably for more dynamic, dynamic elements. Um, even though he would definitely go in the first round now and redraft, um, but I probably should have been like more endorsing the second round pick there as opposed to what I was like. Yeah, I don't know if he's going to do it. Like, what's so, what's so special about this guy? Kind of thing. Because um, because guys like that play in the NHL. Another guy uh, on the on the too low list is Mort Sider, and we've talked a ton on this podcast about Sider. Have we've we? Done, we? We've talked plenty about <laughs> Mort Sider. We did a whole article, in fact, uh, about a year ago about how Mort Sider had kind of uh, won over a lot of draft analysts from his draft year. So I won't make you rehash all of that, but I did want to hone in on just one specific aspect of his game really quick, which is his offense. And like in, in year one, the offense has come really fast. He's running power play one. Um, he's doing things with the puck that like, even as he had clearly ascended as a prospect over the last couple of years, um, you know, I, I don't know that necessarily offense had come to the forefront. It was something that was clearly better than people thought, but you know, he's got 13 points in his first 18 NHL games here, running power play one, you know, very early into that career. I'm just curious, uh, you know, with that part of his game, is this a totally new level even that you've seen from him? Yeah, I just, you know, I've watched lots of Mo over the last couple of years. You know, I've watched him since he was 16 uh, years old, and I've just never seen that element of his game be a standout. Like you said, like his puck game, his puck skills, the way, the thing, the kind of plays he can make. You see some flashes here or there, but, you know, for me, whenever I've watched him over the years, there's always the skating, the size, the physicality. Um, how good a defender he is, good first pass type. The brain. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy, and, and that's kind of the thing where it was like in his draft year, he didn't play on the power play at all, like ever right. in his draft year. So it, it was, the only time he did is when he went to go to the U20B pool uh, that season. And like, like, I don't know, man, like, like it, he was really impressive at that tournament. Like he really was. He was the best defender at that tournament. And, and all the credit in the world to, to how good he was. But he was playing against you know, Austria, France, Latvia, Norway. Even though he was really impressive, if I had told you a, a player had dominated like Norway and, and Austria, um, you wouldn't be saying, oh, well, that's exciting. Let me, let me take him in the top 10. Like, you know, that's... It's 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 it was a really unique evaluation case, and I still think it came down to the World Championships. Um, that was the most persuasive element, and he was really good in the DEL postseason too. And like he, that's when I started to kind of hear the whispers of the stock going up. And but it was really that World Championships where, you know, that was a World Championship, not like the last one where a lot of NHL players went to that one. Um, and he and he more than held his own. 
Uh, he got injured actually in it, but when he was healthy, he he definitely looked like somebody who belonged. And even though he wasn't on the power play there either, um, that's the part that stuck with me. And I was like, oh, fuck, I could that, that sh- I should have been on that. Um, but, but but you live and you learn. Yep, absolutely. And then really quick, last guy on this list I want to touch on is Jonathan Dolan. And I thought you made a really good point in the write-up that you did about it, about kind of his all-Svenskin production. And the point you made is there was not a lot of precedent because usually at 22, if a Swedish prospect is ready to do that, uh, they're already in the SHL, they're already in the AHL, they're already in the NHL. He was doing this in the Allsvenskan. Um, that seems like there's kind of a, a tie in there. Yeah, I mean, it's... <sighs> I think what you're seeing with a lot of these is from Turcotte with Cider um, and Dallin is the unique cases are the hardest ones. Yep. You know, I remember I had an NHL director scouting tell me like when there's a guy who's 6'2 and could skate and he has skill and he has 90 points in the CHL. Like I've seen that guy a million times. I've seen this track record a million times. I could tell you where this is going. Yep. Uh, it's the unique cases that keep me up at night when I'm trying to evaluate guys. And, and that's one of them. Like, I, I had some scouts tell me, hey, this guy's going to play in the NHL next year. He's going to be a like, top nine, top six forward. I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, like he got his ass kicked when he came to the to North America last time. Why, and he was dominant in the Aspenskin then too. Why is this time any different? Like, there's no way he's playing in the NHL next season. Like, he's small, can't skate, perimeter. Yeah, he's got some skill. He scores a lot in the Osvenskin, but, like, I don't know. I've seen this movie before. I know how it ends. I did not know how it ends. It had a twist ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> where he comes, when he breaks camp, and he's, like, on the top line for San Jose, and he's scoring right away and making an impact. And I'm not saying he's going to be that long term, but clearly I was wrong. Um, and. Man, he was like he was just so dominant at that level, and you know, kudos to the Sharks who traded their a third round pick for him that they had drafted earlier and, and used that asset to turn get a really useful NHL player. Uh, yeah, I was just like like these other ones I was like, kind of off on. Like, oh, I should have had Turcotte a couple spots lower. I should have kind of had Siders a couple spots higher. Should have been, maybe I shouldn't have said Pinto was a third fourth rounder. I should have said he was like a second rounder. This one was like this guy's not a prospect. Barely or barely, I think I'm as like a fringe, like had a, had a chance to have a prospect, and now he's like a top line four. Like that's just massive miss. That just learning experience for sure. Pop quiz: Who drafted him? Uh, Ottawa. Ottawa, the Ottawa Senators. So Ottawa, not, he, another he, point for that Ottawa Senators amateur scouting team. Uh, so here's the thing: I liked him when he was an Ottawa prospect. <laughs> and I, I liked him. Um, he was really good, and you know, he was really good coming up. He was really good as a World Junior. Um, just a really unique case. Unique. The unique ones are tough. You're gonna have you have unique ones in this year's draft. Where you got like an Austrian and Marco Casper playing in in Sweden. You've got like a couple of like premiums players playing in the Slovakian uh, pro league and Simon Nimich and, and Philip Meshar. Um, you've got like cases where you've got like Connor Geeky, who's a premium prospect, and Winnipeg's such a Deep team. He's going to be playing on a second power play unit all TL. You're not, not really getting a lot of prime minutes. Uh, the, the the tough cases are going to, are, are the ones uh, that I spent a lot of time on. And then just to wrap here, I know we're running a little short on time, but I, we I did feel like we cut a couple of kind of teams prospects short in the last episode that we did on on early season. Um, you know, rookie standouts basically, and, and I got to see one of those guys in person this week, and that's Cole Sillinger. I thought he had an excellent game. And I did just want to give uh, 
just a, a brief kind of window here for a few of those guys. What we'll get to more in a second, but for me, like Sillinger, I thought was really good against Detroit. He had a, a particular shift that I can think of where I think it might've been a power play, which obviously helps, but three really high danger chances in a row that, you know, I, I think probably at least one of them should have gone in. I thought the entire night um, he, he played really well for Columbus. And, you know, I, I don't know that the advanced stats, if, I don't remember exactly how they, how they graded out. I, I think it was probably better on the quality than the quantity. Um, but to me, like Cole Sillinger, it looks like a real, real player. Yeah, and that's another guy who I thought he was a very good player, but I think I think he's exceeded all reasonable expectations of how good he was going to be right away. Um, I know Columbus was very high on him, but you know, for an 18-year-old to be doing what he's doing, considering he's not even like that strong a skater, too, like I just think it just speaks to his skill, speaks to his hockey sense, speaks to how competitive he is. I mean, that kid, for an 18-year-old, you can't tell versus NHL players. He's laying people out. He's, yeah. He wins battles versus people who are say, 7, 8, 10 years older than him. Um, just, yeah, just, you know, what a story for, for Columbus to, to get that guy um, into the organization and how important that's going to be for them uh, going forward. Uh, like I said, just uh, looks like a real premium young asset. Absolutely. It's, it's entirely possible. We don't know exactly uh, where Kent Johnson ends up playing as an NHLer, but for a franchise that needed centers for a long time, it's quite possible they might have they found one, maybe two in, in this one draft. I'm sure they hope so. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. The other guy I wanted to get to just made his NHL. Uh, and that, I don't know if he was this his debut, Perunovich. I think it was his debut. Uh, yeah, Scott Perunovich. Um, yeah, we mentioned him before. Um, we were just, it was, it's good to see him uh, to be called up. And uh, obviously, he was just so good uh, in the American League this year. He clearly didn't belong. And um, we kind of like, I, I think the issue, the reason why he, he wasn't called up was apparently due just to his to a salary cap issue. Uh, St. Louis is really up against the cap, and he had certain, I think, bonuses in his in his contract to prevent that would have given them some issues. Um, but he's up now, and uh, I expect he'll he will help the Blues in a significant manner going forward. He was off to an amazing start in the NHL. I think he was like I think he was like two assists per game or something close to it. Yeah, it's like st- stupid, particularly for a defenseman. Yeah, absolutely. All right, anyone else you want to touch on before uh, we let everybody uh, get on with their lives? Yeah, no, no, only a little obvious one is that just from watching the Ducks games of late, like Trevor yes. Zegers, Trevor Zegers looks like he's uh, looks like he's feeling it. Like the scoring is coming now, but even when the scoring wasn't coming, you'd watch some of those games and like he was doing some very, very, very unique things that he does very often. And um, you know, Ducks are off to a surprising start, and I think Zegers is a is a big reason why. Uh, I think he's going to be a very important player for that franchise for a very long time. Well, we talked about that 2019 NTDP team a minute ago with Turcotte and Jack Hughes and all those guys. And Zegers, obviously, you saw it then. There's no doubt you saw it then. I think the question then was, how much of this stuff can he actually pull off in the NHL? And the answer seems to be, damn near all of it. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, like, yeah. Like, I, we've been seeing him do, like, those spinning, like, backhand passes since he was 15 years old. Right. and. And he just keeps doing it. He did it, you know, in college. He did it in the World Juniors. He's doing it here. Didn't, you know, um, I guess this, the hockey sense is just such a high level. Like, it's not just, you know, I think people like sometimes like, well, like, you know, roll their eyes when we say, oh, he's pretty, yeah, he's really high-end hockey sense or it's elite or you know, like we reuse words. Like, whatever, sure. you, whatever, whatever superlative you want to like give on this guy's like, you know, hockey sense or his vision, um, you know, Give him whatever your highest accolade could be, and that's what he is. 
um, his creativity is, is just special. Yep, absolutely. All right, that is going to do it for us on this episode of The Athletic Hockey Show. Thanks for listening, as always. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review. That really helps us out. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Thanks again to Jonathan Bates for joining us. We'll talk to the rest of you soon. 